Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. Uh, put the scriptures up on the screens this morning. Before I begin in 1 Kings chapter 19, um, we started several weeks ago, and today I believe we're concluding a series called Get Your Mind Right. And so we've talked about uh, getting our mind right concerning God, concerning his word, concerning us who and who we are, uh, concerning other people. And today we're going to talk about getting our mind right concerning our life. Sometimes we just need to, to shift our perspective and our thinking concerning our, not just us and who we are, but, but our life and where we're at and, and where we're going and, and what God wants to do in us and through us. And so before I read chapter 19, verse 1, I, I got to give you a little context. I mean, some of you all will know this story. Uh, there was three years of no rain, and God tells this prophet named Elijah uh, to go tell this man named Ahab that it was going to rain. Now, Ahab was evil. Uh, if you go back a couple chapters, it says that Ahab was like very evil. He did more evil than all the other people up until his time. Like he was super evil. And, um, and so Elijah tells Ahab that their famine that they had experienced over the last three years was due to them getting away from what God had told them to do, to forsaking the commandments of the Lord and following this other God called Baal. And so um, Elijah tells Ahab to gather all of Israel and meet him at this place called Mount Carmel. And so uh, there were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 other idol prophets. And so Elijah stands up in front of all of them as they're gathered and challenges them and says, all right, let's see if your God is real. Let's see you, you're prophet of Baal, you're prophet of these other gods. Like, let's see if your God is real. Let's see if he's powerful. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're all going to gather around. We're all going to watch and we're going to see which God, either my God or your gods can, can actually bring fire into this location. And so these other prophets, they, they try, they get together, they try to bring fire down and and Elijah starts to mock him. He says, maybe your God's away. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's using the restroom. I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's like, maybe your God's busy right now. He starts to mock him. And then finally they get tired of it because clearly there was no fire that comes down. And so finally he stops him. He's like, all right, all right, now it's my turn. He fixes up the altar. Um, he, he, he builds a trench around the altar. So he digs this trench. He fills it with water and then he soaks the wood that God's going to, to bring up to fire. He soaks the wood in water three times. So this, not only is he have nothing to make fire with, but he soaks this wood in water three times. And then fire comes from heaven and everyone acknowledges that God um, is God. And then, and then here's what's amazing. And, and here's kind of the point of, of this. Elijah then goes on to kill all of those prophets of Baal. He goes on and kills all of them. Then um, God used Elijah to bring rain, and we pick up in chapter 19 and verse 1. Ahab, the guy who, who was really evil, he goes and tells Jezebel all that Elijah had just done, how he had just killed their prophets and brought fire and rain and all this. 
and he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of, of one of them by this time tomorrow. So here you have Jezebel and she, she hears about everything that Elijah did. And she says, so may the gods do to me. Now, now what, what I love about this is this is absolutely ridiculous. Her gods had just been proven to have no power. <laughs> her, her gods are powerless. And here she is saying, so may these gods who have no power and all their prophets were just killed by this one man do to me. Like this is an empty threat. Right? This is like, may this speaker come up and punch me in the face. If, like, that's not going to happen. Everybody knows that's not going to happen. It's been proven it's not going to happen. But yet she's like, okay, based on these gods that we've been following, that you have just proven to be powerless, may they do to me, and not more so also, if I do not make your life as life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Has anyone ever told you that they're going to ruin or even take your life? Have, have you ever told yourself that you're gonna ruin or take your own life? Has Satan ever whispered into your ear, screamed into your life that he's about to ruin you? This is going to ruin you. Because I, I believe that all of us have faced this threat at some point in our lives where we feel like now our lives are about to be ruined or now even our lives are about to be taken. If you can, if you can take yourself back to those moments where, where you had that, that overwhelming sinking feeling of, man, very soon my life is going to be ruined. You could put yourself maybe in some of the headspace of where Elijah was when he received this threat. He received this threat that all of us have received, maybe not from a Jezebel, hopefully not from a Jezebel, <laughs> um, but, but we've received somewhere. Now, I, reading this, reading these, ver these chapters up until this and reading these verses up until this, I would expect... Elijah's response to be a response of a strong man of God, of a warrior man of God, of a, a prayer warrior, someone who had just seen his God bring fire to soaking wet wood when there was no reason for fire to be there. Someone who had just seen God use him to kill at least 450 prophets and false prophets with his own sword. I would expect this guy to now hear this threat and be like, oh, really? Bring it on. Bring it on. See, see, part of the reason that I haven't talked about the Falcons in the last three or four weeks is because I no longer have any confidence in my trash talk. I, I no longer feel confident in saying, yeah, yeah, bring on the Patriots, bring on the Aints, bring on whoever else that wants to play against the Falcons. I'm no longer confident in that 
But had the, or the, if the Falcons were seven and three instead of three and seven, you would still be hearing about the Falcons because they had been winning. And because they had been winning, I would be telling you like, bring on anybody who wants to face us. We're ready. And uh, us and me and we, like I, they don't pay me. They've never paid me. They've never given me a jersey. The only jerseys I've ever had, I've had to pay for. But, but you know, I just start. But, 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 but like, after seeing victories, I'm much more confident. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond in a different way. I would think Elijah's about to say, Jezebel, bring it on. Because I already killed all your prophets. Now let me finish off all the rest of the evilness that you have to offer. And don't, don't come near me because if you come near me, I, I might get you with my sword too. That, that, was, that would be what I would think Elijah is about to say. But in verse 3, that's not what happens. It says, then he was afraid. What was he afraid of? What was he afraid of? God had just used him to do two of the biggest miracles that we see throughout all the scriptures. He gets a threat and he's afraid. It doesn't make any sense. I can't explain it to you. I don't have some deep revelation that's going to come behind this to explain how this happens. But what I can tell you from experience is I can so relate to Elijah. I can relate to moments where I've seen God do miraculous things. And then seemingly the very next moment, the very next day, the very next week, the very next month, there may be some small threat or some small thing that I have a tendency to blow up and, and become afraid of or feel a certain way that I know I should not be feeling in the midst of victory, in the midst of what God has just done. I don't know if y'all can relate to that. I don't know if y'all have ever been there where God does this and then in this very next moment, you, you feel like anything other than a warrior or a mighty person of God. There's something about the aftermath of God doing the miraculous that puts us in a state of vulnerability. It's why many times on Sundays, like I don't want to meet with people after church because y'all may think this is not very good, but for me, this is very supernatural. And so as soon as I'm done, there's a level of I've poured out everything and now there's a level of vulnerability and, and I might give you the keys to the church if I meet with you after church on Sunday and don't try to make that as a reason that you could. <laughs> like, like I might sign my house over to you. I, I don't know, I might, I, might just, I, I might just do something that God's not telling me to do because there's a level of vulnerability or should you come to me and say the wrong things at the wrong time, I might be so vulnerable that I might become afraid. If you're new here, I'm just, I'm open. I don't know any other way to be, I don't know any other way to, than to be genuine and authentic. So if you're looking for a, a, somebody to stand up here and have Genesis to Revelation memorized and have no faults or no, that, that's not me, thanks for coming. Talk to me after service. I got some pastors I can tell you and refer you to. That's not me. I can relate to Elijah. It doesn't make any sense, but I can relate to him. After this great victory, he gets one little threat, and now he's afraid. And it says, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He's afraid, and he runs for his life because we all have this fight or flight in us, right? And so when fear comes, we either stand and fight or we run in flight. And here, Elijah, he has this fear, and so he runs, 
He doesn't stand and fight. He runs. And, and he runs for his life. He is scared for his life. And fear will push us into this fight or flight even when it's irrational. Maybe even especially when it's irrational. And you look back at some point in your life when you're like, man, I fought hard right there and I didn't need to fight. I fought a battle God didn't want me to fight or I ran away from something that God didn't tell me to run away from. And how ridiculous was that? But in that moment, it doesn't feel irrational. Even in your mind, if you can, if you can conjure up the fact that this is irrational, fear pushes you into that fight or flight. And here Elijah's being pushed into that in the ending of this verse, in verse 3, it says, and he left his servant there. Man, this is powerful to me. And all the times I've read this and even studied this, I've never, this has never jumped out at me like it did this week. He left his servant there. He got so afraid and he ran so fast and so quickly that he left the person that was assigned to help him. The place that he went he would not allow the person assigned to help him to go with him. And man, if we think about our lives, we think about how we think about our lives, and, and we think about these threats or these negative things that have come into our lives that we've heard and we've believed or we've seen, or whatever the case may be, and we're fighting or we're running, I wonder how many times our lives are negatively impacted because we leave the person or people that are assigned to help us in a place that we no longer are. Because, listen, you are never designed to live this life on your own. And in these moments where you feel like Elijah felt, in these moments where you see your life in this negative state, in this difficulty, maybe it's not even what you're seeing, it's just how you're feeling. What you need most is God. But secondarily, what you need is that person or those people that God has assigned to help you. And some of us have become too prideful to allow people to help us. Some of us are too, 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 too far into shame to allow other people to help us. Some of us are too afraid to allow other people to help us. And some of us are just too busy fighting to slow down and listen to the people who are assigned to help us. But your life will never be everything that God wants it to be if you keep leaving the people that have been assigned to help you behind. It will only be everything God wants it to be if you will allow those people who God has assigned to help you to come with you in this journey that he's given you. He leaves those people behind. He has no reason to fear. And this is because what Elijah has done, even though it just happened in chapter 18 and now we're only in the beginning of chapter 19, is he has quickly forgotten what God has done. I mean, it seems obvious that he has quickly forgotten what Ahab and Jezebel know. And that is God just used him to not only kill 400 prophets, but to bring fire from heaven. He has quickly forgotten that. And that is a dangerous thing for us to do, to forget what God has done. Because when we stop celebrating what God has already done, then we begin accepting fear into our lives. 
See, see, and the opposite of that is true. When we remember what God has already done, we refuse to fear because we're confident that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's did it before, he'll do it again. And maybe he's already done something in your life in this area before, and you have forgotten about it, and now you've allowed fear to come in because of the situation, not remembering that God has already done this for you before, and there's no reason that he won't do it for you again. Listen, there's certain areas where we're strong in this and certain areas where we're not strong in this. My wife, I've said this many times, but my wife has seen God provide for her financially in her family for the entirety of her life. They haven't always had a lot, but she has seen God come through financially over and over and over and over again. And so because of that, we have a confidence in God's provision because we have remembered and continually see him provide. But it's in those areas where you haven't seen him provide. Maybe it's the first time you're facing this or, or you just didn't recognize what he did when you faced this before. That now because you're not celebrating what he's done, you're accepting the fear that comes from those situations. And when the fear comes, it pushes you to fight or flight. It pushes you to leave the people that are assigned to help you pushes your life into a place that God never designed for it to be. In verse 4, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Man, we're seeing this all too often today in our society and in our culture People getting to this place where maybe even they're crying out to God and just saying, God, take my life. Now, this is not Jezebel threatening his life. This is Elijah wanting to give up his life, saying, this is so bad that I don't want to be here anymore. This is, this is so low. This is so difficult that it is too much for me. I, I no longer want to be here. Now, now spoiler alert. God didn't grant this request. <laughs> Go find out about Elijah's last days on earth. If you don't know, Google it. But God didn't grant this request. And many times when people get to that place of feeling like this is too tough, it's because they've forgotten what God has done. They've forgotten who God is. And maybe they didn't know or didn't recognize. But when you, when you grab a hold of who God is and what he's done in your life and who he's called you to be, then man, there, it doesn't mean that every day is easy, but it does mean that there is an empowerment, there is a love that, that comes on the inside of you and continually refills you and fills you. And I get it. You, Elijah was a prophet of God. I'm not saying that you won't have these threats because we all face these threats, but is what, is you gonna, what are you going to do with these threats that come into your mind and come into your heart, whether it's from somebody else or whether it's for yourself? He, he allowed himself to fear which magnified these threats in his mind and in his heart. But the other thing that we see in verse four towards the end of that is he says, for I am no better than my father's. 
He's comparing himself to the past generations. And listen, let me tell you something. If you don't know this, comparison is a cold-blooded killer. It just is. It is. It is for you. It is for me. It is for all of us. And and, and y'all know, social media now, it has just put a magnifying glass on our ability to compare ourselves to other people. I mean, it does not matter how many false prophets you kill, how many victories that God brings about in your life. You get on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or TikTok or whatever the newest thing is, and you are going to be able to quickly find somebody who's killed more, who's done more, who's lost more weight, who's has a better marriage, who has a bigger ministry, who makes more money, who has a nicer car. You can find that without even searching. And comparison is a cold-blooded killer. Elijah here is like, I have not lived up to my forefathers. I am no better than my fathers. I have not exceeded them. I have not done better than them. In comparison, this is just another thing that is telling me that my life is not worth it. My life is too difficult. And so much of what has died in our lives has died because comparison killed it. There's dreams that God has given us that comparison has killed. There's instructions that God has spoken to us that comparison has killed. There's opportunities that God has put in front of us that comparison killed. We got to be honest with ourselves. It's more difficult for us now to refrain from comparison than it has been in any other time in history. But when you start comparing yourself, you are looking to the wrong place. You are looking to someone else and what they have or what they don't have or who they are and who they're not or how many followers or how many likes. You're looking in the wrong place. God never tells us to look there. As a matter of fact, Peter one time, he's, he's with Jesus. He's like, hey, what about that guy over there? And Jesus is basically like, listen, man, don't even worry about that. You just follow me. Don't even be concerned with whatever I'm doing with them. You just follow me and do what I've told you to do. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. The only time that we're to be looking to other people in this way is when we are looking to be happy with those that are happy, to mourn with those that mourn. But the moment that we start allowing ourselves consciously or subconsciously to compare ourselves with other people, (laughs) you're fighting with a cold-blooded killer. And eventually you're going to lose. It's like playing Russian roulette. It might not get you the first time. The second time you pull the trigger, it might not get you. But if you keep pulling the trigger enough, inevitably, you're going to lose. Elijah here's not only found himself in comparison, but fear. Fear and comparison are a horrible combination. <laughs> in verse 5, it says, 
and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. He goes as low as he can possibly get. He lays down on the ground. And man, I've been here. I can relate to this. And I'm sure many of you all can too. Like you just feel like laying down. You just feel like getting as low as you possibly can. You feel like giving up. You feel like you don't want to be up. You don't even want to stand up. You don't want to get out of bed. You you don't want to talk to people. You don't want to go to your job. You don't want to do anything. You don't even want to eat. You just want to lay down in the lowest place and see if God can do something that you don't have the strength to do. He lays down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. It's kind of a side note, but it's it's very interesting, especially here for Elijah. The first thing the angel does is he touches him and then he tells him instructions. He gives him instructions. This is the way God works. This is why when uh, Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, he said, God, tell me to come walk on the water. Give me instruction, because if you give me instruction, I know it's you. And so here, not only is the angel giving him instruction, but specifically giving him instruction to take care of yourself, take care of the natural, because if you don't have any food, if you don't have any strength, you're not going to be able to fulfill your assignment. Do you know that that's why God wants you healed? It's not so you can brag. It's not so that you can live this life without any pain, even though he loves you enough where he doesn't want you to live in pain. You know why he wants you healed? He wants you healed so that you won't be hindered in doing your assignment. (laughs) Every day that you're laid up in the bed, you're sleeping under the broom tree, you are not fulfilling your assignment. You are missing out on hours or days or weeks of fulfilling what God wants you to do. And God's not interested in that. (laughs) He doesn't need you wasting time here. And he doesn't have to have you wasting time here. This angel touches him and gives him instructions and says, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Now, listen, let me just side note here. Let me tell you this. When you are in these dark moments in your life, when your life feels like it's too difficult, God does this and he does this all the time. He touches us, meaning he's there with us. You're not sleeping under any broom trees that he's not there with you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. He is right there, and if you will allow him, he will come and he will be with you, and he will be right there with you so close that he can touch you, and he will give you instructions. You may not want to hear the instructions. You may push the instructions to the side, but he will give you instructions. And the instructions are for your good, even though they may not feel like they're for your good. Elijah did not want to get up and eat. He felt the lowest of low. He was not just tired, he was drained. We might even say that he was depressed. And here, God is like, get up and eat. And he, he don't want to do that. But the instructions God has given him is for his benefit. The instructions God gives to you are for your benefit. And then in verse 6, God doesn't just touch and give instruction, but he provides. Think about this. Elijah wakes up. The angel touches him, tells him to get up and eat. And he looked, and all of a sudden there was food and drink. It was right there. It was provided for him. In the obedience of what God had told him to do in this moment where he felt beyond low. Verse 7, the angel Lord came again a second time. (laughs) Because y'all know how we do. Sometimes, maybe a lot of times, maybe most of the time, maybe all the time, it takes God coming a second time. Oh, come on. 
There, there's, there's things in my life, I'm like, God, if you ever tell me to do that, I'm just letting you know right now, you're going to have to tell me at least twice. <laughs> at least twice. If you want me to do that, you, I'm just telling, it's just up front. Here's the deal. You got to tell me at least twice. And, I, and I'll throw scriptures at God in the mouth of two or three witnesses. God, you may have to tell me three times. <laughs> Angel comes the second time and touched him. And said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Now, now, listen, listen. If you're following God, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're following God, the journey of your life is always going to be too great for you. Every time, the journey of your life is going to be too great for you. If God's plan for your life was so small that you could accomplish it without him, What's the point? Right? Like, like if we're following God, the God who brought fire from heaven, the God who, who parted the Red Sea, the God who moves mountains, the God who had people walking on water, the God who, who put a man into a lion's den and allowed him to come out without being eaten and, and allowing men to go into a fiery furnace and come out without smelling like smoke. If we're serving that God and following that God of the supernatural, the all-powerful one who created all of this and yet our days can only be fulfilled by our intellect and our wisdom and our strength and our abilities and our and our and our like what who do we think we're following like we're following the God who says without faith it is impossible to please me we're following the God who says the works that Jesus did you should do those works and even greater works than those. We're following the God that says nothing is impossible to those who love me. We're not following the God who's like, hey, come this way until you get tired and then you can stop and figure it out on your own and work it out on your own and the best you can do is the best that you can have. We're following a God who is the God of Everything, the one of all power, our journey is always going to be too great for you. And if your life and this journey of your life is not too great for you, if you've got it figured out, if you know how to work it, if you're strong enough to do it, if you're smart enough to say it, if you have enough money to accomplish all of it, then you may not be completely on God's journey. Yeah, there's seasons of comfort, there's seasons of abundance, there's seasons of that, but if your entire life, you've never been challenged, you've never been stretched by God or by your faith, I don't know when and where, but I can tell you you've missed it somewhere. Because I, 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 it's like this, at, at, at my little girl's um, preschool, they changed the code, the code to get into the school, you got to have this code to get in, it's always locked, so you got to have a code to get in. They change the code every so often. Is it really 958? Oh, Lord. I didn't even got to. Okay. They change the code every so often. And, and so what happens with me is every time I really memorize it, like I know it, I'm confident walking up, is the day they change it. I mean, it is if it, without fail. I, I, we've been at this school seven years, and every time I, oh, man, I got, I got it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to look at my phone to remember it. I got this. They change it. 
And I feel like, that, like that's my walk with God. Like, like once I get in this routine and everything's good and man, I figured it out and God, I wake up here and I do this and I do that and I give you this and I give you that and I, and I, and I give this much money and I give this much time and, I, and here's my routine. I feel like God's like, okay, I changed the code. And why does he do that? Because he's never designed us to trust and believe and rely on the code, on the routine. He's always designed us to live by his word and, and trust in him and follow after him. I got to really hurry up. Arise and eat for this journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And think about that. The food that just happened to be there was enough for him to eat and drink and then be good for 40 days. <laughs> That's some food like I've never had. <laughs> it's, that is better than Habdadi. That is amazing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't, that, like, we just read through the Bible sometimes. But, like, slow down. Like, that is, like, what? I wrote in my Bible, wow. I want some of that. <laughs> Verse 9. There he came to a cave. A cave is this dark, isolated hole. He comes to this cave, this dark place, this place of isolation. And he lodged in it, meaning he lived there, meaning he stayed there. He chose to stay in that dark, isolated place. Listen, we're all going to face the threats in our minds, through other people, they're going to tell us that our lives are going to be ruined. Here, Elijah runs to this dark, isolated hole. And listen, I can relate to that again. My tendency, like I've seen a lot of the brotherhood's tendency, is when it gets difficult, when it gets hard, when we feel threatened, when we're afraid, when we're hurting, we want to run to isolation. We want to run to darkness. We want to run to the place where nobody can get to us and we just need to be alone. This is a place not just of darkness and isolation. This is a place of pain. This is a place that if you stay there too long, you're going to discover a level of hopelessness that's not real. And here, Elijah goes to this place, and he chooses to stay in the darkness, in the isolation, in this hole, in this cave. He chooses to stay there. He didn't have to stay there. He could have been out celebrating the fact that he just saw God bring fire from heaven, kill 400 prophets. He could have been out onto the next assignment of finding more false prophets, bringing more fire down, or whatever it is that God had for him. But he chooses to stay. As long as you choose to stay in that dark, isolated place, you're hindering not just that moment, you're hindering the rest of your life. That's the place where Satan can lie to you. That's the place where Satan can show you things that aren't real. That's the place of pain. And just like God, it says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Because whenever you, even when you choose to stay in that cave, God will still speak to you. He'll still give you his word. The word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
Now, my whole sermon really starts right here, <laughs> but we're out of time. <laughs> so I'm going to need you to go to the YouVersion Bible app, go to the events tab, and look at the notes because I don't have time for this. But, but let me just point this out to you. One of the best ways for me to get revelation in the scripture is when you read a verse, read it multiple times and emphasize a different word each time you read the verse. So here, for this phrase, here's what, here's what I would challenge you to do. Emphasize each word in this question here that Elijah's being asked. Here, God is asking Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then read it again. What are you doing here, Elijah? Read it a third time. What are you doing here, Elijah? Read it a fourth time and read it like this. What are you doing here, Elijah? Read it, read it one more time and say, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then read it one last time and say, what are you doing here, Evan? That's when God begins to speak to you when you slow down and you meditate on his word and you read his word. What are you doing here? What are you here for? What are you in this season for? What purposes does God have for you, not just in your life, but right now? Think about it. What are you doing here? How did you get here to this place? Why have you stayed here? What, what are those causes? What has happened? What are the choices? What are you doing here? You, like of you of all people. Elijah had no business choosing to stay in this dark, isolated cave. And here's the crazy thing. You have no business staying in that dark, isolated cave. You are a son of God. You are a child of God. You are royalty. You are the redeemed. You are powerful. You are loved. You are celebrated. Do you know that the moment that you gave your life to Christ, that all of heaven celebrated you? Do you know that there is a cloud of witnesses, a group of people that will meet you when you take your last breath and they will celebrate you? What are you doing here? Why are you here? You have no business there. Maybe you're not in a cave. Maybe you're not in a dark, isolated place. You can ask yourself these same questions. What are you doing here? Like, like, what are your actions? You have purpose. Your life is meaningful. So how, what are you doing with that? Or what are you not doing with that? What are you doing now with where you are? Not what you want to do, not what you plan to do, but what are you doing? What are you doing here? We're all supposed to be here. In this earth, in this time, in this season, we all have a purpose. But are you supposed to be here? Is this your church? Is this your city? Is this your community? Is this your state? Is this your country? Is this your time for you to be here? And if so, what are you doing here? And then he calls him by name. Elijah, God knows your name. He knows the things that he has for you. He knows that even if you chose to go and live in this dark, isolated place for this season of your life, he knows how to make this good. He knows how to make this right. He knows how to turn this around so that nothing will be lost. 
and everything will be restored. Elijah should have known better than to run and hide. But you should know better than to run and hide. I should know better than to run and hide. Even when we run and hide, God knows where we are. And he knows who we are. Your life is not beyond repair. I don't care how long you've chosen to live in this cave. I don't care how bad you think it is. I don't care if you've said or prayed this very prayer of God, this is too hard, take me. Or if you just believe the lies of other people saying, I'm going to ruin you. Either way, God loves you so much and he has so much purpose for you left for the rest of your life that he needs you here. And there's other people who need you here. When you isolate yourself and you leave the people that are assigned to help you, you have no idea how much that hurts the people that you've left. You have no idea how some people just yearn and long to be able to help you and you keep pushing them away or running away. There are people that love you. There's a God that loves you. And no matter how you got to this place, whether you're in a cave or whether you're outside of the cave, God knows exactly where you are and he knows exactly what he wants you to do. And what we got to do is just be able to hear him in the cave when he calls out our name, when he gives us instructions. And the instructions may not make any sense. They may be very natural. They, 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 they may be something that you absolutely don't want to do. But the key to you getting your mind right about the rest of your life is to hear what God says and do what God says. It's that simple. It's not that easy. But it's that simple. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.